many of the, of the homes and buildings down there, unfortunately, were not built very well um, and certainly not able to withstand wind speeds that were at you know, Category 4. And unfortunately, as we talked today, which is a year after the event actually occurred, it's still a prolonged process of trying to ensure that you know, the next time that the island of Puerto Rico is faced with an event of that size, hopefully that we will not see the, the same scope of, of damage that Hurricane Maria caused. Welcome to This New Climate, an acclimatised podcast about the innovations that could transform our world as we enter a new era of climate instability. You just heard Steve Bowen from the insurance firm Aon speaking about his experience surveying climate damage caused by Hurricane Maria after it tore through Puerto Rico last year. In this episode, we take a look at the relationship between climate data and the insurance industry and tell the story of how a group of companies with a commitment to open source data are seeking to transform our ability to understand climate risk. Hello, my name is Will Bugler and you are listening to This New Climate. Our first series is about the quest for deep innovation in response to the challenge of climate change. Across the series, we feature five projects and programmes that are supported by the European Institute of Innovation and Technology's Climate Kick Initiative, a knowledge and innovation community committed to delivering the transformative change needed to tackle climate change. In this episode, we look at two companies with Oasis in their names the Oasis Hub and the Oasis Loss Modelling Framework, both of which are looking to drive innovation by improving access to climate information, tools and data. But why would opening up access to such information improve our ability to build climate resilience? To answer that question, we take a look at one of the industries that relies on climate data the most, insurance. Let's go back and see what Steve Bowen has to say. 2017 was a record year for hurricane losses across the Atlantic Basin. We had Harvey Irma Maria occur within a matter of weeks between one another. I had an opportunity to do uh, post-event surveying after each of the events, and, and I would say that there were definitely bits and pieces of each storm which still stay with me today just because of their uniqueness. If you're wondering what Steve is doing travelling to parts of the world that have suffered damage from major climate events like hurricanes, it's because he leads the Catastrophe Insight team at insurance giant Aon. This team's job is to help Aon's clients and colleagues understand the different types of climate events that might occur and alert them to changes in the trends and frequencies or intensity of those events. This helps the insurance industry understand the potential scale of their losses and puts a price on risk. Part of Steve's job is to carry out on-location surveys after climate disasters strike. Here, he tells us about the catastrophic damages Hurricane Harvey caused in Houston, Texas, and Hurricane Maria caused in Puerto Rico. The thing that really stood out to me the most was Hurricane Harvey, in the sense that it made landfall as a Category 4, but the vast majority of the damage was certainly related to inland flooding, considering the the fact that many areas saw several feet of rain, which led to, uh, from my perspective, one of the largest footprints of flood damage that, that I had personally ever seen before. And that was just because the infrastructure that was in place just simply couldn't handle the volume of water that occurred. Uh, and the fact that it happened to be in an area with, with a lot of people 
that were living there, which in turn led to uh, tremendous amounts of flood damage. Hurricane Harvey is the joint costliest tropical cyclone on record. It was a massive storm which carried huge amounts of rain and it sat over the city of Houston in southeast Texas for days, causing catastrophic rainfall-triggered flooding. The storm inflicted an estimated 125 billion US dollars in damage. Just a few weeks later, Harvey was followed by another huge hurricane, the deadliest in almost 10 years, Hurricane Maria. Now, when we're talking about uh, Hurricane Maria down in Puerto Rico, that was a, an entirely different scope of, of damage, just from the sense that the infrastructure in place, especially from, uh, let's say, an electrical grid perspective, was much more vulnerable to the type of wind speeds that was associated with Maria. The level of damage was certainly catastrophic. It was a really strong case of showing the importance of building codes and building construction. Many of the, of the homes and buildings down there, unfortunately, uh, were not built very well um, and certainly not able to withstand wind speeds that were at you know, Category 4 and, and especially in, in areas that were with higher elevation. You saw wind speeds gusting to Category 5. But the vast majority of damages or of buildings on those on that island was unfortunately not built to that level of uh, capability of withstanding those wind speeds. The devastation caused by Maria was huge, causing widespread destruction to the Caribbean islands of Dominica, Guadeloupe and Martinique. Puerto Rico suffered catastrophic damage and a major humanitarian crisis. Almost 3,000 people were killed on the island and the storm caused the worst electrical blackout in US history. And in June 2018, thousands of homes and businesses were still without power. These events clearly show the destructive power of climate impacts in two very different contexts. Houston's infrastructure was of relatively good quality and its people had resources to prepare for the storm, while in Puerto Rico, buildings were simply not built to withstand such wind speeds. Two hurricanes, both causing huge damage, but of a very different nature. Given this, how does one go about categorising or understanding hurricane risk from an insurance point of view? Well, they use climate data that feed into complex computer models, called loss models. After climate-related disasters like hurricanes, what helps governments, companies and people pick up the pieces is insurance. Payouts go towards rebuilding and repairing infrastructure, businesses and homes and the contracts on which those payouts are based are all informed by weather and climate data. Essentially, everything that we do is, is based on weather and climate data in the sense that, that exists. I mean, you, you look at a typical homeowner policy anywhere along the eastern seaboard in, in the United States, that uh, a lot of these contracts are based on different triggers that are established by different thresholds of, of storm intensity, watches and warnings that are issued by uh, the federal government. It's a really, really important uh, component to just from setting the contracts themselves. Now, when you're talking about from a catastrophe modeling perspective, the weather and climate data is, is critical in the sense that it forms the basis for these models themselves. Essentially, the better the data that's ingested into these models, the better output that you're going to provide. So better data equals better informed insurance models. Sounds kind of straightforward. 
However, it can be a daunting task to identify those data sets that are actually relevant and useful to the work that Steve and his team are doing, for example. Added to this, in order to make climate data useful for insurance companies, it has to be processed by plugging it into computer models. These models all have loads of assumptions built into them about the world and economics, which impact the level of risk they attribute to potential future events. This becomes a problem because the models and the platforms insurers use to make decisions are owned by just a few large companies. And this is where the first of our Oasis companies comes in, the Oasis Loss Modelling Framework. Here's Dickie Whitaker, its founder and CEO. So one of the problems the industry faces is that some of the existing tools that they use and the models they use have colloquially been known as black box models. And obviously this is a sort of reference to the fact that not all of the assumptions in these models are made available on the basis that perhaps the assumptions made by these commercial firms represent their IP and they don't want to reveal who they are. I think this is frankly a fairly gross misrepresentation of what models should and shouldn't do. If you haven't got clear insight into the assumptions in models and clear understanding of the key parameters in these models and the sensitivity around these key parameters, I would maintain that those models do not have the fundamental use and don't have the requirements that are needed for end users. So as the models are owned by commercial firms, this makes access, customization, and use, especially outside of the commercial insurance industry, very expensive. But more than that, it also means that end users get a very narrow view of risk. The models produce an output, but other models with different assumptions may have produced a completely different level of risk. It is this closing down of diversity in risk analysis that the Oasis Loss Modelling Framework is trying to address. So in some ways, we've got so tied up with some of these commercial so-called box models that there is a, such a strong demand from the insurance industry to get greater insight into what these models can and can't do and indeed into the key assumptions that are being made. And obviously a natural home for that type of insight is the, second, the academic base and the science base because for them, that is... A fundamental part of what they do. They need to publish, they need to be open, they encourage debate. And so does the insurance industry. What we do is we bring some of that into the domain of a practical use in the insurance industry. The Oasis loss modelling framework does many of the same things that other loss models do. However, it is rooted in an idea that data should be open and debate over uncertainty will lead to a better understanding of risk for insurers. Here's Dickie to explain more about what this means in practice. Oasis Loss Modelling Framework is two things in essence. So it's firstly a piece of software that is free and open source and available to all, but it's also a community, and that community is formed of a number of different types of organisations and structures around the world that contribute towards an understanding and use of climate and risk data. So for example, that means academics and the science base, that means end users like governments or cities or insurance industry or parts of finance. And it means that technologists are able to sort of put together the software that enables a sort of combination of these people to 
to have a conversation. And the conversation is about risk. And in climate terms, there could be questions like, what would be my 100-year flood look like? What damage would that do? And what's the uncertainty around events that might have a 100-year return period? And so these form key decisions, really, that historically the insurance industry has been perhaps the greatest user of these types of products because it has to answer those questions every single day, many times a day, in fact. And one of the things that we're trying to do is bridge the gap between the insurance industry need to understand risk to able to assess capital and, and price business and combine that with the need of cities and governments and other actors to be able to answer those same questions. And if we're able to help with that process and make it cheaper and easier and to create a, a greater diversity of opinion, then hopefully we go a long way towards uh, solving some critical problems that we all need to face. The loss modelling framework then offers the insurance industry a chance to break out of the constraints of black box models and get a more nuanced look at the potential risk landscape. However, the industry doesn't just need software. As Steve explained earlier, it also needs to know where to find the data about climate hazards and other phenomena and how to use and analyse it. This is where a second Oasis company, the Oasis Hub, comes in. So the Oasis concept and the brand initiated with Oasis Loss Modeling Framework. And then after we did that, we we did realize that we needed a a shop window. We needed a portal that was going to become an aggregation of data and models from around the world. So we created what we then decided to call the Oasis Hub. Oasis Hub is a data platform that is compiling climate information and data, making it available online. Tracy Irvin, the Hub's Managing Director, explains more. Oasis Hub gathers together information, environmental information and risk information from across the world that is fundamentally based on natural hazards and the impacts they have on societies uh, when we have large extreme catastrophic events. As a part of that, we collect data from institutions from across the world. So we have over, well over 120 uh, organizations putting data on the site. We have 870 members who use our data. We also publish, or we're just about to launch, a section on analytical tools. So tools that you can put data in or take data from that analyze different uh, sort of catastrophes, things like floods and wildfire, climate and energy and others. In addition, Oasis Hub hosts online learning events to educate key industries like insurance about how to use data for risk assessments and adaptation planning. It's a crucial part of their work because it drives at a fundamental issue around interpreting climate information and understanding risk, dealing with uncertainty. For many people and companies, the idea of uncertainty around climate change can be a barrier to action. How can we take action when we are unsure of what climate future we'll face, they say. But in reality, decisions about the future are always made under uncertainty. Economic or political uncertainty, for instance. Responding to climate change requires us to embrace uncertainty and build resilience to a range of possible climate futures. A 
Appreciating uncertainty around climate change is vital when trying to judge the types of measures we need to implement to protect people and property from climate hazards. As our climate becomes less stable, we are likely to see climate-driven disasters happening with greater frequency and intensity. Understanding the scale of a full range of possible future climate hazards is vital for insurance companies, both to price risk and to ensure that people have sufficient levels of cover to enable them to recover. Steve Bowen from Aon again. One of the big things that has come out of the major events from 2017 and 2018 has been uh, what we call the protection gap. Now, the protection gap is essentially the percentage of the economic damage that is not covered by insurance. And what, what we've seen from the events in 2017 and 2018, especially, say, Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Florence, uh, and even, uh, say, the, some of the earthquakes that, that have occurred in Indonesia and in Japan, is that a, a large percentage of the damage that's been caused by these events has, has actually gone uninsured, which speaks to the, the fact that there's a long way to go for the insurance industry to ensure that people are protected from these large events. For Dickie Whittaker, in order to account for uncertainty around climate change, it's vital that risk is democratised and access to models and data is opened up. Those alternative views of risk are absolutely fundamental in managing capital as an insurance or insurance company, because ultimately, managing capital is about understanding uncertainty. And the understanding of uncertainty comes significantly from, firstly, seeing a diverse opinion about what that risk is. In the insurance industry, effectively, we got to a position that it is too expensive to use more than one or two views of these risks, and that means there's less efficacy in the understanding of that risk. So by creating interoperability, creating a platform that is free and open source, by encouraging the science base and the academics and making it easier for them to have a dialogue using this software as a translation mechanism. We encourage that transparency. And so embracing uncertainty becomes a key element of uh, what we're trying to teach ourselves in the insurance industry, but also perhaps enlighten the wider community as well. Oasis Hub offered just such an opportunity to engage with and enlighten a whole range of climate data users. Tracy explains that this was woven into the fabric of the hub from the very beginning. Oasis Hub came about as a collaboration between different sectors, essentially. So firstly, we were working under Climate Kick with a group of academics and SMEs working on kind of climate services. So things like developing flood models, uh, windstorm models, wildfire models and a range of sort of catastrophe kind of tools that could be used by society. So this was mainly the academic sector, but sometimes, you know, SMEs as well. And then on the other side, we had Oasis LMF members. LMF refers to loss modelling framework, by the way. Back to Tracy. Oasis LMF has over 40 insurance company members, so insurance and reinsurance. And they were looking for a sort of data hub where data could be gathered into one portal to make it easier for them and quicker for them to find the information they need to develop their kind of models for underwriting and other purposes. So we formed under under that remit, knowing that not only would we 
bring the data together from those sectors, but also that this data had potential uses in other sectors. So things such as finance, you know, city planning and business uh, continuity. So we knew that doing this would actually have more impact than just those two sectors. Linking the data to an open source loss modelling framework model has proved a very exciting prospect for many industries, not least the insurance sector. As Tracy mentioned, Oasis LMF has over 40 insurance company members using an open source model and sharing insights. Steve Bowen explains how it's been used by Aon. The whole basis of catastrophe modeling is is helping to identify risk. Oasis plays a a big role in that in the sense that it's a one-stop shop in the sense that all these different models uh, from different different vendors are available for different insurance companies, reinsurance companies, or whoever that wants to license the models and run the models through the Oasis framework. So Oasis is definitely one one opportunity that, that's there for many different sectors to be able to you know, identify these risks that do exist and be able to help identify areas where there, there may be that big protection gap uh, and be able to work with federal governments to ensure that, that many more of their citizens at least have an opportunity to buy insurance that may not previously have, have had that opportunity before. So it's clear that Oasis Hub and Oasis LMF have had some considerable success. But how was this achieved? How did the innovators go from a great idea to a coalition that includes some of the largest insurance and reinsurance firms on the planet? For Dickie, the foundations of Oasis's success stems firstly from trust. You've got to raise the money, and that is never easy. I think aligned to that and extremely important is maintaining credibility and trust. And I probably have an advice. Somebody said to me once, how did you manage to raise all this money from the insurance industry and get this thing off the ground? Because I tried it a couple of years ago and failed. And my slightly glib answer to them was, well, all you have to do is be in the industry for 30 years and be trusted. Connected to maintaining that trust for Dickie is continued momentum and energy to drive the idea forward. At no stage did we look like we were standing still or moving backwards? I think if we had done either of those two things, we might not be here today. Keeping going, keeping moving forward was absolutely critical. The foundations of these efforts came from the initial engagement with EIT Climate Kick, which provided seed funding to start the idea and also lent considerable legitimacy to the idea, as Tracy explains. I mean, and I can't say this enough, really, is what Climate Kick did is that they were ahead of the curve in terms of putting some sort of funds behind the development of this type of hub. And I think they took a risk in doing that at the time. Nobody knew if people would work together on this type of initiative. But actually, you know, what's happened is, as I think so far, we've been, you know, pretty successful. And so they were able to kind of push a new style of initiative that others may not have invested in and they've brought us to a point where we are sort of ready for major investment. With Oasis now at the stage where they can attract investment from established industries they'll continue to strive to bring down barriers to collaborate and cooperate 
in the use of climate data to understand risk. To get a sense of the depth of Oasis's commitment to open source, they've even made the brand itself open for use by others, encouraging people to set up companies that share the same ethos to use the Oasis branding. Perhaps the most exciting thing about the Oasis model, then, is that there really is no telling where it might lead. In the face of uncertainty around climate change, open models like the one from Oasis can significantly advance our understanding of the nature of climate risk. Even in a world where ever-increasing computer power is generating ever more advanced models predicting how the climate will change, it is clear that uncertainty can never and will never be eradicated. Embracing uncertainty and understanding risk as an idea that is based on a set of assumptions that can be challenged and contested will help us build a nuanced approach to climate change adaptation and resilience building, be it through government planning, new infrastructure or indeed insurance. What Oasis has shown is that for this to work, an enabling environment must be created that opens up data, models and frameworks to many more people. As an idea, it might seem simple, but taking the steps towards achieving it is extraordinary. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, then please remember to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to get in touch with us, you can connect on Twitter at This New Climate and head over to www.acclimatise.uk.com forward slash This New Climate to learn more about this podcast. A big thank you to our guests Steve Bowen from Aon and Dickie Whitaker and Tracy Irvin from Oasis and also to our Climate Kit coordinators for this episode, Julie Calkins and Ellie Tonks. Content for this episode was derived in part from a series of innovation insight notes coordinated by Ellie Tonks and Gina Lovett for Climate Kick. This episode was produced by Acclimatise and EIT Climate Kick and was hosted by me, Will Bugler. Background research and narrative development was by Elisa Jimenez Alonso and Will Bugler. And editing was by Lower Street. Until next time. Mm-hmm.